Alright kids, it is time for me to do something just a little bit different than what I've been doing. Uh, it's something I've been kind of thinking would be cool to start doing for a little while. And basically what I want to do is I want to uh, cover some gun myths and things and answer any questions anybody's got about guns, give my opinions on firearms, if maybe you're eyeballing something, whatever else. So... Uh, I got the comments up so I can see what everybody's saying. I'm get to stuff as it comes up. Uh, and I do have a short list of, uh, gun myths that, uh, I can certainly go through, uh, to go ahead and debunk. Um, if I don't get any, you know, interesting questions, uh, but... I mean, give me something here. What uh, What's on your mind gun-related, gun-law-related? What do you guys want to talk about? Got to be something. Uh, I mean, otherwise I can just go ahead and just start. Um, I'm rigged up to do visuals, too, if necessary. So, as always, because I'm cool like that, I got a sweet setup. <laughs> it's still pretty amateurish, but you know what? I'm trying, man. I'm trying. Don't hate on me too hard. Um, so Brett says, The Mark 17 is overrated, and everyone who worships it has never actually... I scrolled too far. Used it. Um, yes and no. Uh, the Mark 17 is a really, really good gun for what it was built for. Unfortunately, most people who buy one are never going to use it for what it was used for, and they're not truly using a Mark 17 because most of them are using a semi-auto version. Um, the biggest downside to a Mark 17 is that it uh, destroys optics. Um, it absolutely destroys them. Um, the reason for that is because the upper has these bizarre harmonics that will perfectly harmonize after a few shots to cause vibrations to go into your optics. And it tends to do things like crack circuit boards, glass, knock zero off, um, all sorts of fun things. You get a, you know, maybe a thousand rounds out of a good optic on uh, a Mark 17. And then it dies. That really sucks. There are purpose built optics mounts and optics for Mark 17s, which can mitigate that to a certain extent. However, eh, um, I, I enjoy the Mark 17. I've always liked scars. Um, I think they're really cool. They just, they, they look neat and they're different. They're not quite an AR, um, which in and of themselves is nifty. But if I had to choose between spending almost three grand on a scar and spending three grand on building like the ultimate dream build of an AR, I'm building the AR. Um, it's just, it's better. There's a lot more, um, capacity to make things better in an AR. Um, I would put it, I would put a scar right next to a, like an MCX realistically. I mean, the MCX is built for a roll. The scar was built for a roll. They do what they were meant to do to a certain extent. They just aren't everybody's cup of tea because not everybody needs them to do what they do. At least in 7.62. Um, I'm not talking about the 5.56 scars because those things suck. 
But in 7.62, Scar is actually not a halfback gun. It's just really overpriced and mostly just so people can rub it in the face of the pores. That's why they buy them. Um, it's not quite a, a proprietary weapon. I mean, they, they don't necessarily... The mags are... You can... No, they're not. Um, high points are blowback guns. Um, at least the, the ones that I've looked at are, there might be some out there and I'm sure that there's, there's going to be somebody in the comments now who's going to be like, Oh no, I had the, 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 to bring up the carbine. I'm talking about the pistols. The carbine's actually really fun and cheap and, and a hell of a hoot. Um, the, the regular ones, they're maligned because they're really heavy because they're a blowback gun. So they're trying to keep the action closed through the sheer weight that has to be moved and they're using inertia right to keep the action closed during the act of firing that takes a lot of mass um they're really ugly and there's no debating that they're ugly as hell they are however incredibly durable and they're eh, i'm gonna say everyone that i've talked to that's used one and i've never used one long term or put one really hardcore to the test so i can't speak to it from personal experience but everybody that i've worked with that uh, has fired them and owns them says they actually start out from the factory 70% reliability rate, um, which is unacceptable for a carry gun, but for, you know, just going out and plinking. And really, if it's that or nothing, I would take 70% chance. Um, but... If you, I'm told that if you polish them uh, and you go ahead and you refine the, the slide a little bit, as well as the feed ramp, you can actually make them a pretty damn reliable gun. And I've seen them put through hell of punishment that I would never subject something like a Glock or a SIG or an HK or an FN or anything else to. Um, and they took that punishment like a freaking champ, man, and just kept going because... It's really hard to break a blowback gun. Blowback guns just, they're so simple. There's so little there. With a little fine tuning, you can make them run like just amazing. And there's so much bulk to it, it's really hard to damage it. It's just this, the back side of that slide is just this monster chunk of metal. So it's, they're, they're interesting. I, I wouldn't call them precision weapons. I wouldn't call them, you know, something that I would carry every day, but eh, they're a little more maligned than they probably should, mostly because weapon snobbery is a thing. I'm guilty of it. Everybody else is guilty of it. Let's be honest. Um, let's see. Yeah, um, Brett, to answer your question, I, I think it was actually Demolition Ranch. Um, I don't remember that guy's name, but the guy from Demolition Ranch did that, where he did a torture test with a uh, with a high point, and actually, it passed with flying colors. Because, sure, why not? Um, you know what? Couldn't a 1911? That's right, Fuds. A 1911 sucks. And I'm not just saying that because I like Glocks. I'm saying that because they're garbage. Uh, that being said, if anyone were to ever go, hey, would you like a Korth 1911? I would say, why, yes. Yes, sir, I would, if you are giving that to me. I could not possibly afford one, but if you will hand me one, I will take it. 
I don't have five grand for a pistol, though, beautiful as it is. Uh, da, da, da. That's us. Here's a really big thing that this explosion has to move. <laughs> that's about as simplistic as you get, and it just freaking works. As long as nothing interferes with that slide and, and increases the delay or no mass comes off that decreases the delay or you're not overcharging it or whatever, you, it, it'll work. The biggest downside to um, blowback guns is that they are ammunition sensitive. So if the charge is too low, you don't move it enough. And if the charge is too high, you break the damn gun. Or, worst case scenario, risk the gun open, the action opening before the pressure has fallen, and that is very bad. <laughs> I got a buddy who's got a chunk of uh, uh, a chunk of brass embedded in his chest for the rest of his life because of an out of battery discharge. Um, so yeah, that's bad. Don't don't have that happen. Very bad. Um, although I got to ask a question earlier, Makarov versus Tokarev, if you're going to buy an Eastern Bloc Milser, what do you go with? And personally, I said Tokarev. I, if I had the choice between the two, I love the Toke, man. That 762 Toke is just a hot rod little round and it is a hell of a, hell of a lot of fun to shoot. Pretty damn accurate too, which is impressive. And you can argue the finer points of armor penetration if you're so inclined, but, I mean... Eh. Um, Kevin says he loves MP5s. Yep, the MP5 is the best submachine gun ever built. Walther actually made one that tried to compete uh, with an MP5. Um, they're really rare because I don't think anybody actually ever adopted them, but uh, they're almost as good. Um, in some respects, I like them slightly better, but, uh, the MP5 and the MP5 SD are just unbeatable as far as submachine guns. Like as much as I consider the AR, the pinnacle of rifle design, and I don't think anything's really going to improve enough on it to make it worth it to not get an AR for sheer practicality, um, the MP5 is the pinnacle of submachine guns, and I don't think anything has really improved on it enough for any military that's adopted it to move away from an MP5. It just... It doesn't make sense. Um, yes, Chris points out, without a 1911, which I was just hating on, Glock doesn't exist. Well, without a 1911, there are... Uh, actually, no. You know what? I'm going to call shenanigans on that. Not true. Absolutely not true. And I will explain to you how not true that is. In fact, where? Aha! Oh. <clears throat> this is not a 1911. This is a high point. High point. Ha! High power. You guys got me talking high points so much, it's stuck in my damn head. I feel like gagging now. That is a Browning high power. Without the high power 
you don't have a Glock. Without the 1908, you don't have uh, the, the Glock. But the 1911 is the culmination of about nine iterations of firearms. Um, and the 1911 is only just has its distinction because it happened to be get adopted by the U S military. Um, if you're Belgian, that high power is the pinnacle man. And personally, I'd rather have a high power than a 1911 cause the high power is going to work and the 1911 ain't again, unless it's super precision built and you're spending a fortune on it. In which case, pff, just give me a really nice Glock with a bunch of aftermarket customized stuff and a hell of a lot of trigger work and it'll be better. So. AKV. There's another question. The AKV. AK platform in 9mm. It's from PSA. I actually haven't looked at the AKV much. Um... It's a really cool idea. AK platform, proven, you know it works in 9mm. However, if I had a choice between an AR pistol in 9mm or an AK pistol in 9mm, I choose the one that won't jam when I drop it in mud, and so I'm still going with an AR. The, here's the thing. Here's the thing about the AK versus AR debate, right? I love AKs. I do. I adore AKs. My girlfriend adores AKs, right? I understand. I get it. And AKs are a ubiquitous firearm. However, the AK has some fatal flaws. And those fatal flaws are things that are not present in an AR and anyone, any FUD that you encounter that wants to bring up the problems that the M, uh, the M16 A1s had and A2s had and things is unaware of what's going on with ARs now. But at this point, I mean, if you think about it, the AR has been continuously improved on and continuously adapted since its inception. Um, it's 50 years of development here um, behind it. Um one of the guys who uh, helped work on uh, the AR was working on a slightly different uh, operating system for it that allowed, that used rollers and like allowed him to achieve a greater fire rate. Um, he's only got a prototype uh, built at this point, but it's um, he actually assisted Eugene Stoner. Um yeah, I can't remember his name. Uh, uh, who did he work with? Oh, God. Let me start with an H. I'm probably, I'm probably wrong. Um, let me find... Give me just a second here. Uh, 
Do to do to do. Oh, I don't remember. Ian talked to him a little while back. So if you go through Forgotten Weapons and peruse, there's a point where he talks to the guy I'm talking about. And actually fires the gun I'm talking about, too. But. Yeah, the problem the problem with AKs. So just to, to go back to what's going on in the comments. Um, the problem with AKs is that the while uh, Kalashnikov had the genius idea of using the. Um, uh, the safety and selector switch to also block off the um, huge gap behind his reciprocating bolt. The problem is that when you have it in the fire position, which is all going to be almost all the time in a normal combat situation, you have this giant gap behind that bolt. And so if you drop it into something like mud or, um, really like nasty gravel sand or things like that. And that builds up behind the bolt. The bolt won't cycle anymore. Um, the advantage to the AK is that in general, to clear a malfunction, all you have to do is drop the mag, run the action and it's probably fixed. But when you start to get really sticky mud in there or really coarse, uh, gravelly sand, things like that, that doesn't work anymore. And you actually can't get the gun to run. The upside to the AR system is that because it's almost completely sealed, there's nowhere for dirt, mud, things like that to ingress into the action. So it doesn't jam up from that in the first damn place. And even if it gets some in there, the semi-DI system that Stoner helped kind of invent, the gas venting out of the bolt carrier, and it blows all of that out of the action. And so it cleans itself to a certain extent. Um, and it generally will just run. As long as the mag is clean, she's just going to run. Um, if you try to do it with the bolt open, you know, when you dump it in mud, yeah, that's going to cause problems. But that'll cause problems with basically any weapon on the face of planet Earth. Um, the AK, though, has that flaw. And even with that dust cover um, closed on an AK, it's still going because there's still a gap and because of just the massive tolerances that are involved, you're still going to get ingress and stuff. You're still going to run a risk of that. People who say that AKs will fire, even if dropped in the mud have never actually handled an AK. No, they freaking won't. Um, they will fire even if you haven't cleaned them in 10,000 rounds in general, but that isn't so much that AKs are just super amazing so much as it is really high tolerances from poor manufacturing quality. And, um, the fact that the, um, impingement system that's in it, uh, the, the piston helps with that a little bit. Yeah. Dust cover is a really relative term here. That's, that's what the, um, what the, the selector is on the side is when it's up is supposed to be a, a dust cover um, for it. Not the top cover. The top cover is separate. We're talking about the fact that when you have it in the safe position, it covers that giant gap. But that's the issue with reciprocating bolt handles, which is why Eugene Stoner and his genius decided to go with a non-reciprocating bolt handle. Um, even in the original design for the AR, uh, something that uh, people usually don't 
know is the AR-10. <laughs> um, I see a lot of people call LR-308s uh, AR-10s, and that's not the case. Um, an AR-10 originally had this cool little like trigger-shaped charging handle just underneath the carrying handle at the top. And um, you would actually, you could pull it back, and if you needed, uh, you, you would you would like push it down um, to grab it and pull it. It was, it was neat. It was cool. Um, the uh, the advantage to you know to non reciprocating charging handle is just immense because that's that's a big open space that you don't need. Now I have seen multiple designs, um, mostly weirdly, not even from like Belgium or anything, but from like Sweden and, um, uh, like S Sweden. And I think I saw one that was Finnish. Um, I've seen a couple from, from there that have these weird, like telescoping covers on a reciprocating bolt handle that are really neat where, so that, so that the handle can reciprocate, but it's still always covered. Um, which is nifty, but the problem is then you have sliding panels and that's still a spot for ingress for dust or dirt or gravel that can lock that up and cause your weapon to malfunction. So, I mean, yeah, any, any gun that you have will malfunction eventually. It's no gun is perfect, but I think the AR in terms of being able to be dirty, not dirty from lack of cleaning, although it can take way, way less cleaning than people give it credit for. Also, side note, everyone over oils their ARs. Stop doing that. It doesn't need that much lube. Jesus. I mean, you're running a, a gun action. You're not trying to convince your prom date to take it in the back, all right? You don't need that much lube. Um, the, uh... <laughs> but the AR comes about as close to a ultimate mitigation for stoppages weapon as you can possibly get Mike in, in my personal opinion. And I honestly don't give a damn what anyone else has to say. It's just the way it is. It's, it's just too good. Now, caveat, caveat to that, because I know someone's about to say it. I'm not talking about long range because an AR is not built for that. I'm not talking about fire rate because an AR is not built for that. I'm not talking about super up close and personal because an AR is not built for that. I'm talking about a general purpose rifle and or carbine. That is the best thing you can get. I mean, the freaking AK wasn't even originally supposed to be what it became. It was designed to be a submachine gun, for the love of God. And, by the way, beat out designs by uh, Degterev and um, the other Soviet designer, whose name escapes me at the moment, uh, that were both actually educated, and Konrad Kolashnikov was not. He didn't have any formal uh, firearms education. He was actually a tanker before he uh, started tinkering with the STG-44, which is where he stole most of the AK from. Um, 
Yeah, just the tip. Ah, <laughs> uh, just the green tip. Save the world. Choose green tip. Um, you would like a Mark 19. I would also like a Mark 19. You know, the beautiful thing about the Mark 19, as the meme says, is it's basically what would happen if you went to a 13-year-old child and said, if you could design any gun, any gun on the planet, what would you do? And the kid went, machine gun that shoots grenades. And the army went, I like the way you think, kid. Ah, yes, the Mark 19, when it absolutely has to be dead and obliterated, as does the city block around it. Uh, da, 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 da. What else we got? You know, the Trunnions on AKs actually um, are interesting because my personal favorite AKs are the milled ones. Um, and don't. Another side note, don't call it an AK-47 unless you actually mean a prototype. Because once it was adopted, it went from AK-47 to AK. That isn't how the Soviets did things. They didn't slap numbers on there and, like, names. Uh, it was the Optomat Kalashnikova. Um, the uh, AK-47 designation was actually pre-adoption. Once they were adopted, it became just the AK. So just calling it an AK is actually more correct. Um, my personal dream AK is a Chinese Type 56. Uh, right alongside, actually tied with, a really, really nice untouched Valmet. Um, and a Galil. You can get Galanis in the US. Um, there are some real Galils floating around, but they are a fortune. Um, and even Galanis are uh, a little expensive. Galanis are like a, uh, they're, they're a Galil, but they're built on um, a, they're imported as a parts kit and built on a, a Sentry Arms, I think. It was a Sentry Arms receiver. And Sentry Arms gets a lot of flack for their AK receivers, but they don't really have those problems anymore. So um, if it's a relatively recent one that you're eyeballing, it's probably fine. Um... Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, if you can, ideally, you get a milled receiver and not a stamped one, too. But, you know, you get what you get. <laughs> now, you gotta mar mount the Mark 19 on a BMW Isetta 300. Just flip over backwards, just cartwheel backwards through the air every time you fire it. That'd be great. Uh, let's see, Chris. Let's talk World War One, 1906 versus Enfield versus Mauser versus Mosin. I love that discussion, actually. Because um, there are a lot of pluses and minuses, personally. Um, considering that up there is a, uh, a patent sheet for a Mauser. I think you can probably guess which one I'd go with. Um, the uh, the Smellies, the SMLE, uh, short magazine Lee Enfield, which World War One would be the off the top of my head four, Mark Four, Mark Four Star, something like that. No, it would have been earlier than that, right? Threes. I don't know. 
I don't know why I'm asking you guys. I probably know more about the Lee Enfields than you do. <laughs> um, something like that. It's it was like the the Mark IV, Mark IV Star, and the British naming of those rifles is weird. So what would happen is you'd have like Mark One, Two, Three, and that that kind of makes sense where it's various iterations. But they would have stars uh, where they would have which is like a dot one, right? Like Mark One point one kind of thing. Um, so you would get, uh, the, the stars have some improvements that then would go into the next iteration, but they haven't really changed enough to call it a new iteration of the SMLE. Um, the SMLE is a good gun. It's a fun gun to shoot. I actually like 303 British. I, I think it's a fun gun to shoot. I mean, that doesn't mean that it's a gun I would ever take into battle, but it's a fun gun to shoot. Um, it's... Uh, you know, it, it's good enough for pretty much everything that you're doing. The 303 cartridge, although rimmed and kind of annoying, is okay. Um, it's plenty powerful. You know, um, they're reliable guns. I mean, there are guns that saw the trenches the, of the Western Front in World War One that you can still take out and shoot. So, I mean, I think that speaks a lot to their reliability. Um, there are also Maxims that were run on the Western Front that you can still shoot. Um, there's, um, you know, there's something to be, to be said about uh, the 1906. I personally, you know, I think the, the movement to the 1906 was a bad move. Um, I think keeping the Craig Jorgensen would have been a better idea personally um just because the craig uh could be topped up um whereas a 1906 cannot um that's just one of those things and i really like the craig jorgensen is the other thing i just really do i've always i've always wanted one i had a chance to buy one a little while back and i passed it up i'm still kicking myself uh a little about not having actually bought uh craig jorgensen um which i is the forgotten American rifle. Um, so a lot of people, they go from like in their heads, we seem to have gone in the U S military. See, it seems to have gone from a, like a, a trapdoor Springfield to the 1906, which is not the progression. Um, but before the 1906 was adopted, they were using the Craig Jorgensen, which is really, really neat. And if you ever get a chance to look at the the way the magazine works, it's a um, like a, a snail drum mag, and it's got this nifty little trap door that opens on the side. Um, that's just really, really cool. Um, let me see if I can real quick pull up just because I want to throw that on the screen. Craig Jorgensen. There we go. Um, Craig Jorgensen's were actually also used by the Boer forces in South Africa as well during the Second Boer War. Um, but a Craig Jorgensen. Let me grab one from Rock Island. Because Rock Island Auction, which I think is Morphe now, aren't they? Or is that not Morphe? No, Rock Island is still Rock Island. Somebody else changed it. James Julia changed to... I don't remember. One of the big ones. Um, 
decided to merge and become a new auction house. Um, but let me real quick show you what the important bit of a Craig Jorgensen looks like because it's kind of nifty. There we go. Okay, there we go. So that is what the important bit of a Craig Jorgensen looks like. Um, that door on the side is actually your access to your internal magazine. Which wraps up and around the action. Um... Let me see if I can find... It's really weird. Here we go. Alright. This will work. So let me throw that up here. Real quick. Do-do-do-do-do. Let me show you the Craig Mag. I've just dubbed that way because it's fun. There you go. That should, you should be able to see that. So this is what a Craig Jorgensen mag looks like. Um, your rounds are coming in on the right side of your screen there. Um, that's where that little door opens. And then they feed in, up and around. So unlike when you're, say, loading a stripper clip loaded gun like a 1906 or like an M1, uh, Garand, things like that, you can top this mag up. And in the trenches of the Western Front of World War I, I think that would have been a significant advantage uh, versus having to fire your entire stripper clip because they're, you know, it's captive. Um or end block, sorry, it's an end block in the case of uh, an M1 Garand. I know somebody's gonna call me on that. It's an end block, not end block, N block. But fun fact, by the way, while I'm on the subject of that, did you know that removable box magazine invention actually predates the invention of the clip? Fun fact. That's something you know now. See, I'm always learning. I'm always educating. It's the least I could do. But yes, that's true. Um, actually, you uh, you could get re uh, removable box magazines from a gun manufacturer, well, from an inventor, uh, before you could get a stripper clip or an end block. No one just adopted it for a while, is what it amounts to. The Winchester, yes. Um, the uh, 1893, I think, right? That was an 1893, uh, the uh, the trench sweeper shotgun. Um, yeah, yeah, Stuart, you just joined. Uh, we were talking about the Craig Jorgensen um, 
and the fact that everyone forgets that uh, that actually predates the 1906 and was probably better. Um, uh, for adoption by the U.S. military during World War One. Um, because I think it was. I mean, it's a that's personal opinion, and other historians can debate me all day, but. Personally, I think that just by the sheer nature of its more enclosed action um, and the fact that you could top it up, it was better for the trenches. Um, the I think it's the Winchester 1893 uh, pump shotgun, also very cool. You could slam fire that. Um, that was actually designed to slam fire, uh, as I recall. Um, and I saw somebody whining the other day uh, about the fact that some... Uh, some FUD had come in complaining that his would, would slam fire every time he had his finger on the trigger and ran the action. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, because it is designed to do that. You're an idiot, but, you know, whatever. Um, The Mosin's not bad. I mean, the Mosin, a Mosin-Nagant is a durable weapon. It's still used um, in desperation some places. It's certainly got its place in the world. I'm just not as much a fan of the Mosin-Nagant as I am an SKS. And, and, and like I was saying before, you know, the AK was originally supposed to actually be uh, a submachine gun. Um, and the SKS was supposed to be the regular issue infantry rifle. That's actually why the Soviets had them both adopted at the same time. Modern people who think about um, uh, who think about uh, the AK and its intermediate cartridge is kind of a, a given for infantry combat. Forget that when the AK was designed. The STG-44 was still kind of the first gun to have introduced this idea of intermediate cartridges for general issue, and even the STG wasn't truly general issue, right? Um, so no one had really done that, and no one really truly would until the M16, but um, the AK originally is adopted as a submachine gun. Um, which is why that was what Kalashnikov had worked on. The guy had been a tanker. Um, he didn't like uh, the PPSH. He uh, he wanted something that would work better. He looked. He got his hands on some captured STGs. He looked at them, said, "Hey, this is a great idea for tankers and things. This gives us a little more stopping power than a pistol cartridge, but it's not as unwieldy as a rifle cartridge gun." He designed it. That's originally what it was adopted as. The SKS gets adopted as the general infantry uh, issue rifle. They're side by side for a while. And then eventually the Soviet Union goes, you know, I think these AKs could probably get pushed into this general issue role pretty well. Um, and then they do that. And then, of course, now they're using um, the the um, the AKMs, the, the AK modifieds that are in... Um, you know, that are, that are a little better and they have the, the, uh, was it five, four, five? Why am I spacing five, four, five? I hope I didn't get that wrong. Um, they have the five, four, five, uh, cartridge now in it, which is even smaller, uh, and much closer to what the five, five, six is obviously. And again, we see the genius is stoner. Um, understanding that you didn't need nearly what you seem to think that you needed, I'm going to let my Wisconsin flag fly here. 
make everybody jealous who's not in Wisconsin. Because I am drinking Spotted Cow. Made for Wisconsin, only available in Wisconsin. Absolutely lovely. A guy actually went to jail for this, by the way. Minnesota. Google it. True start. Um, but the SKS is a really good rifle, but it is a rifle. Um, whereas the AK is an intermediate cartridge assault rifle, which makes it better. In my opinion, I think it can get pushed into a little more roles. Um... The Ithaca, there there are Ithacas that can slam fire. They're designed for it. Um, a couple other guys did did slam fire shotguns for like tactical shotguns too. In modern combat roles, I don't see slam fire as being something that I would want on a <laughs> shotgun. But uh, if I'm clearing a trench in 1916, that's probably useful. If I can't have an AA-12 or um, a uh, um, why am I spacing? Oh, USAS 12. That's on the area. USAS. Um, I guess slam fire works, you know? And if I'm in 1916, then the USAS and the, the, um, the SPAS 12 or the, um, oh, Lord. You know what I mean? The automatic shotguns that are available now just weren't available then. That's where I was going with that. That was my, my general thing. Um, Chris says my SKS paratrooper is great for mobility. Yeah. But if I had a choice between that and, uh, a crank, I'd still probably take the crank to be honest with you. A real crank is also on my list of dream guns, by the way. So if anybody knows anyone who's selling one and would like a kidney, um, that's the only way I'm getting my hands on one. Um, yeah, that is uh, that is definitely something uh, that I am after, and I would be happy to purchase. No, 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 no. The USAS 12. So, the USAS 12. Um, it was made by Daewoo. Um, yes, that Daewoo. Um, and, uh, Daewoo's actually got their hands in everything. Um, a lot of Korean, um, uh, a lot of, um, the, like, Korean companies and Japanese companies and stuff have their hands in everything. But, um, no, I mean the USAS-12. Um, it's kind of, um, like an AA-12, but way better. Um, it's pretty viable. You can get a drum mag for it. Um, they're really neat. There are some on the civilian market that predate, uh, Clinton's AWB, um, that you can find out there that are semi-auto only. Um, however, the, uh, the downside to a semi-auto version of a fully automatic shotgun is that it's just 
a semi-auto shotgun that is way overbuilt for a semi-auto shotgun. And there are a lot of uh, semi-auto shotguns out there that are way better as a semi-auto shotgun than a formerly automatic one. Um, lots and lots. Um, let me throw a photo for your viewing pleasure of a USAS 12 up. So you can see what I'm talking about. Because, yes, there is a UTAS 12 out there, too. Um, but that is a... Although it sounds like... Uh, to be fair, though, you, you said the UTAS 12 is a uh, tube-fed behemoth. Yes. Um, the USAS 12 is also huge. Um, but so is the AA 12. To be to be fair, um, they're they're just really big. I mean, you're building something to fire twelve gauge rounds, automatic. It's gonna need to take some punishment, and uh, it's it's significant um, the amount of punishment that it can take, and it, it's a it's a heavy gun. Um, so this is the USAS twelve here. Um, with a stick mag inserted. They are really cool. I really want one in full auto because I enjoy wasting money. Apparently. Because um, that's about all full auto is good for. Um, I mean, if you're clearing a room full of people... Automatic shotgun is probably a good way to go. Um, I've also always thought it would be really cool, uh, combat-wise, to load that alternately with slug and buckshot. Um, and then that way you're getting, you know, the alternating recoil and spread versus something really hard-hitting. And it'd be neat. But ultimately, you know, the guns like that are the kinds of guns that people who... Um, people who really... Uh, get the majority of their um, knowledge of firearms from uh, the majority of their knowledge of firearms from video games and movies that that's the kind of thing that they're into like hardcore. Right. Um, which is also, you know, that's also why you see guys who really think that, like, the, the friggin' um, street sweeper is just a cool shotgun, man. Even though it's just garbage. Uh, the, the street sweeper is actually, it's from Cobra. Um, if you're familiar with South African firearms, as I think any good anarchist firearms enthusiast really should be... Um, Cobra is not historically known for making quality firearms, and there is a reason for that. Uh, the Street Sweeper is a uh, a fixed rotary magazine 12-gauge. It's semi-auto. You had to wind uh, like a clock spring uh, in it, and then it's like a double-action trigger to flip it, so it's almost like a revolving shotgun. Um, it has a horrendous buttstock, it is dubiously reliable. The recoil is insane and the production value is near zero. Um, it's the second worst shotgun ever made. The first worst also goes, in my opinion, 
that title goes to another Cobra abortion, which is uh, the Ladies Home Companion, which is a slam forward shotgun, single shell shotgun um, that was named the Ladies Home Companion. Um, so, you know. Um, Jason says there is a USAS 12 on Gunbroker for 4K. Oh boy, let me write you a check. Gonna have to wait until Friday to go ahead and cash her. Yeah. Um, speaking of full house, Chicago typewriter. Chicago typewriter, for anyone who is not from the United States or really familiar with gun terminology, is of course referring to the Thompson submachine gun. The gun that coined the phrase submachine gun. Uh, that was actually invented by Thompson. Submachine gun. The, the phrase did not exist prior to that. Which is interesting because submachine guns did exist before that. But they didn't have that name for them. Um, things like the MP-18. Um which is the first deployed in a notable level submachine gun in the world. Um, and, of course, the Germans would use the MP-18 pretty much forever. Um, they had, what, the MP-18, the MP-28, the MP-34, the... There had to be a couple of others that I'm that I'm forgetting right now, um, but they they basically designed like a half dozen submachine guns around the original MP18 concept. The MP18 uh, used stick mags, although you could also use because um, there's a Luger mag. You could use uh, the Luger snail mags, those weird snail ones. Um, it's a side-mounted magazine. Um, which has the advantage, the same reason that you do top-mounted magazines often in, sh in machine guns, um, and you have a side-mounted magazine on, say, the one of the world's greatest uh, light machine guns, the FG-42. Um, they um, side-mounted those mags because it allows you to get lower when you get prone versus a, a bottom-mounted mag. Um, and so you use a side-mounted mag. Um, it's a cool gun. I like the MP-18. Um, <clears throat> but Chicago typewriter, uh, yeah, the the M1919, the, the first one, is the best, in my opinion. Uh, cuts compensator, the um, drum mag, the vertical foregrip, and the high rate of fire. Extremely high. It's like 2,000 rounds a minute. 2200 something like that uh it's insanely high it's in 45 acp it so it's subsonic but it hits really hard it fires really fast and it is insanely controllable because contrary to popular belief said by people who never actually touched a thompson in their lives the thompson will not climb badly because it is a really, really heavy gun. It's really heavy. It doesn't go skyward. Plus, you have the cuts compensator that helps to keep the barrel down. You know, it compensates. 
Um, over its next iterations of the M1921, the M1928, uh, which then became the M1A1, I think. M1A? M1A, I think. M1A. Um, I'm trying to do this all off the cuff. Uh, the M1A. Um, those, as you get through those iterations, culminating in the M1A, which is the uh, gun that Tom Hanks' character carries in Saving Private Ryan. Um, they've lowered the fire rate to the point that it's way less controllable because it's this really weird stutter fire rate. Um, they drop it to like under 700 rounds a minute. Um, I understand for combat ammo capacity and, and fire rates are a concern, but you know, they weren't a concern for the Italians who put the Valparaiso into a ground machine gun roll. Um, the Valparaiso is insane. If you ever get a chance to look at one they're they're nuts. Um, they're originally an anti-air or like an aircraft mounted machine gun. And then they pushed them into, uh, ground rolls and, um, no, it didn't, that didn't work real hot. I mean, it is a hell of a lot of fun cause it fires like insanely fast, but, and it's two barrels with two separate magazines, two separate bolts, two separate triggers. It's really neat. Nigh uncontrollable, but neat. Um, what was it? Oh, Thompson Thompson's though. Um, yeah, Thompson's are really, really cool. I've always wanted one. I'd even take one in semi-auto at this point, which by the way, Thompson actually did make, um, they, he, uh, Thompson made designed mostly for police departments, a semi-auto version that I want to say was a 1928 A1. I could be remembering that wrong, but it was something like that for its name. Um, but it was actually made semi-auto by the factory, um, Thompson. And it was mostly for police departments who kind of wanted the intimidation factor of a Thompson, but didn't actually want to risk their deputies, like, spraying people with automatic gunfire. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's, eh, it's 45 out of a, you know, you got a shoulder stock and a foregrip and stuff. So you're accurate, more accurate. It's longer barrel. It's more controllable, longer sight radius. I get it, but eh, you kind of lost a lot of its luster. Um, fun fact about those. If you were to find one for sale, that's an actual original semi-auto from the factory Thompson. Um, they're still, uh, they still have to be registered as machine guns under bat fee because, um, the trigger group is the only real modification. And so if you were to buy a trigger group from, which is an unserialized part, uh, for a, uh, M1919 or, you know, another automatic Thompson, you can basically just slap it in there and turn it back into a full auto gun. Um, so because of that ease of convertibility, uh, bad feet decided that they were going to include that as a machine gun, even though it's semi-automatic and always has been, and it's not the only one like that either. Uh, there's actually an open bolt semi-auto 22 rifle out there, uh, that if you hold down the, uh, safety while pulling the trigger will continuously fire and go full auto. And, uh, those are considered machine guns as well. And I'm not going to say what that is. Cause I don't need anybody going out and looking for it and then have that come back to me. You can find it. You have Google. You don't need me for that. 
Actually, no, 32k for a transferable MP5 ain't too bad. There are other guns. Um, if anyone's interested in buying a machine gun and can pass the background checks, of course. Um, transferable machine guns. There are a few um, Swiss uh, subguns out there that are fairly undervalued. There's a few Finnish ones out there that are still undervalued. Um, Suomi's used to be undervalued, kind of. And then... Uh, Battlefield Five kind of made everybody go, "Oh crap, this thing's awesome!" And now their popularity's gone up, and their their prices are going up. Um, the Swomi is one of my favorite submachine guns ever, um, just because its fire rate is absolutely insane. Um, it's just you're like, "Hey, look a target!" and you pull the trigger, and then your mag's empty. It's just nuts. Um, yeah, this you should be jealous because this is spotted cow, man. Wisconsin only. Shout out to Neglaris Brewing for that. Brewery I still haven't actually gotten to um, visit yet. Um, I spent some time uh, leading up to Christmas last year um, at uh, Lining Kugels. That was cool, Lining Kugels uh, Brewery. In Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Um, that was a lot of fun. I had some commemorative glasses. I got to try a bunch of their beers. My favorite of theirs, by the way, is Snowdrift Vanilla Porter. If you're not in Wisconsin, you can't get it. Sad. Um, the closer you get to Chippewa Falls, the more varieties you have. Uh, if you don't get a chance, if you ever get a chance to go to the Liney's Lodge, by the way, definitely recommend it. It is really, really cool. Um, and you will see one of uh, my photos uh, actually on their wall at the Liney's Lodge now. So that's cool, too. Um, a photo that I took actually on that tour of their lodge uh, is now framed and on the wall in the Liney's Lodge. Because in addition to being awesome at all sorts of stuff, I'm also awesome at photography. Go me. I know we got other stuff here. Come on, somebody's got something. Firearms miss, anything that you've heard recently that you just really want to hear me rant about how stupid that FUD was. I've been doing that a lot lately. Like, I've wound up finding myself in discussions in Facebook groups and on posts and things with people who very, very clearly... Uh, have never really done much when it comes to firearms. Um, them talking about guns like they know what the hell they're talking about, and they obviously have no idea. I had to argue with a guy about trying to say that, uh, well, because it was a chick that wanted to conceal carry, she should get a 38 special revolver instead of a 9mm single stack like a G48. And uh, good lord. You should be allowed nowhere near firearms. Uh, yes, Wisconsin is beautiful. Um, Brad says we have beautiful country in Wisconsin. We do. Uh, Black River Falls, I got to say, is an incredibly beautiful area. Um, 
And also the reason uh, that Static X's album Wisconsin Death Trip is named Wisconsin Death Trip. Wayne Static is, of course, from here. Um, the late, great Wayne Static. A uh, friend of mine knew him really well. Um, but uh, there's a documentary and a book out there called Wisconsin Death Trip that is about a period in the... Uh, mid-19th century in Black River Falls where over one winter everyone in Black River went nuts and started killing themselves and each other and all sorts of stuff and it's pretty interesting if you get a chance to see the documentary or read the book um, but that is why the name of Static X's album their best-selling album Wisconsin Death Trip is Wisconsin Death Trip um, but the Dells too, Wisconsin Dells um that area is super unique geologically and really, really gorgeous. I used to live down there. Um, that, uh, which is weird because living in a, in the Las Vegas to the Midwest, uh, as a local is really strange. Um,. An M870 for a Marlin 3030. Eh. Yeah, you probably should. You probably should feel fuddier than him. <laughs> I am I am very unfud. I, I do not own a single firearm with wood furniture. Not one. Because uh, polymers are better. And actually, the next uh, AR I'm building doesn't have a metal lower. It doesn't have a metal foreend. It doesn't have a metal uh, buttstock. Um, it has an ultra-light aluminum minimalist upper. It's as lightweight as I could make it in as many space-age technologies. It's even got a uh, Faxon pencil barrel on it. FUDs hate it. Everyone else who uses it, who understands firearms, absolutely loves it. Because it comes in under six pounds. Actually, under five and a half pounds by the time I'm done. Shoots like a dream. Easy to move. Super maneuverable. Anybody who thinks you need weight for a gun is just wrong. Depending, I mean, you know, they're recoil-wise, if you're using a really potent cartridge, that might help mitigate recoil, though there are other ways. Um, but in terms of an AR, you're only, in this case, it's a 5.56 gun. You don't need much weight, and anything you can do to save weight in a gun is a good idea. As long as it doesn't compromise functionality, of course, or durability in any unacceptable manner um, just because seriously like there's just no reason to um, to be lugging around a 9 pound or 10 pound rifle when you can be lugging around a 7 pound rifle like that extra 3 pounds may not sound like much at the beginning of the day when you're trying to carry it up and over uh, a bunch of mountains in Afghanistan, however, that suddenly starts to be a very noticeable extra three pounds. It's amazing how that works, isn't it? 
Calisthenics, kids. Get familiar with it. Oh, but personally, I mean, I really love lightweight guns because I have carried them a lot. I know how much that weight starts to suck after a while. I know the practical applications of them, you know, and synthetic stock materials are just better. Um... And the first time you pick up an ultralight gun, you'll realize what that difference really means. So, um, yeah, and it, and the FUDs, it, and you are. If you think that a gun needs to be heavy in order to be a good gun or a durable gun, you're a FUD. Um, you're living in the early to mid-1900s, and you're not living in the modern world. Um, that's... With things like titanium and carbon fiber and high-grade polymers in the world, you don't need heavy to be strong. Aerogel is a thing, for God's sake. You ever seen Aerogel? It dissipates heat almost instantaneously. It weighs, like, as much as spider silk, and it's got higher tensile strength than steel. Stuff is cool as hell. I love metamaterials. Um, 3030 versus 308. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people who use 3030 for deer hunting, although personally I would prefer a 308. Um, or, you know, I, my deer gun is a 300 black. It's still a 30 caliber, but it's, you know, an AR, which means it's light and it's reliable and I can have more than four shots and <laughs> it's semi-automatic so I can do follow-up shots if necessary and anyone who tells you well if you need more than one shot dig down a deer you can't shoot you're an idiot um I mean yes ideally it only takes one shot but that doesn't always happen um any guns that I regret using or buying several actually um the M82, I really regret because it was a waste of 10 grand. Um, it's $7 a round, roughly. It's a 10 round mag. Um, most places that uh, have ranges, the ranges can't take 50 BMG. So you can't shoot it there anyway because you risk the round ricocheting off the berm and heading off into who knows where. Um, <laughs> and this may surprise you, but almost 700 grains carries a lot of kinetic energy, even after it's ricocheted off of dirt. Uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a significant amount of force hitting anything, even if you just throw it. So imagine if it's, you know, propelled by a small explosion, it's, it's moving very quickly. Um, um, Beyond that, um, the M82, just because it was a money hog, um, my Mark Mark 17, uh, because it broke three optics before I gave up on it. Um, let's see, what else? 
I bought a uh, uh, like a little twenty-two training rifle. It was a German um, training rifle that had been built. It was originally designed for like uh, the Hitler Youth, for like uh, youth uh, marksmanship training and stuff. It was a really cool collectible. I thought I spent. I, I regret it because I spent way way more money on it than it was actually worth because I didn't bother to do any research, and uh, I regret that one because I took a huge loss when I sold it. Because you buy collectors' guns because you know they're historically interesting and they're uh, potentially an investment, and then it turns out that it's not, and that just sucks. Um, any others that I really regret? Um, I regret picking up and using a semi-automatic uh, uh, VP9. Was that VP9? Yeah, I think it was a VP9. Um, no, not a VP9. A um, Chris Vector. Sorry. Um, Chris Vector uh, in full auto is interesting. Um, it's fun to shoot in full auto. Uh, the novel... Um, bolt action, the, the like diving bolt and uh, for recoil recoil mitigation is neat. Um, I don't know how useful it is in practical realities or anything. I mean, it's nifty, um, but the um, yeah, I was thinking of the VP9 because I I spent way too much on that too, and then literally never used it. Um, no, Chris Vector, uh, the submachine gun sucks. Uh, in semi-auto uh, carbine guys, it's absolute garbage. Um, the novel recoil system is useless because it's semi-auto shooting a pistol caliber. Uh, it has a stock and a long barrel. Um, it's not suppressed. Like, it's full-auto, you know, um, original off-the-menu version. Um... Yeah, Chris Vector is garbage in semi-auto. Never buy one. Never spend that money on it. It looks neat. And if you want to have it just to show it off and be like, look at it, I spent way too much money on this piece of garbage that no one wants. I, then fine. But, you know. Um, the, uh, yeah, the Vector, the Vector was something that I bought and, or not, didn't buy, but I mean tried and, and, and thought about buying and then didn't buy. Um, because it just, it ruined it and it ruined the full auto for me. Like I know the full auto, some people like, but it just, it ruined it. Um, I regret handling, uh, and firing an MP seven because now I want one and I'll never get one. That's one I regret. Should never have picked it up and shot it. Cause now I want one, but never going to have one. Because uh, FN hates people. Um, anything else that I've bought? See, a full auto P90 would be badass. Ultimately, not terribly practical, but really cool. And it would complete my Stargate uh, SG-1 cosplay. As a nerd reference. 
case anybody's unfamiliar. It's the the team inexplicably carries a bunch of P90s throughout um, Stargate SG-1. Uh, also, I think that they also carry HK pistols. Um, I think... Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what's up with that, but they do apparently. Although randomly, the other teams they encounter have like M4s and things that make sense. But for some reason, they all have P90s that they use in like ranged combat scenarios. Yeah, it, it makes no sense to me. I don't know. That's I always get complained at because when I watch shows like that that have a lot of weapons and things in it, and I'll be like, that doesn't make sense. Why would you use that? That's stupid. Why would you use that? Well, that's dumb. And it's obviously, you know, it's costume dressing and stuff. And it's because the P90 at the time was a really hyper-futuristic looking gun. It's got that weird top-mounted mag on it. It's really nice and compact. And it fires really fast and seems really neat. But ultimately, it's just a submachine gun that is... I mean, nice in close quarters, I guess, but it's a little weird and it handles weird. I never did really like the ergonomics of it all that much, but in full auto, it would still be really fun just because it fires really fast. Um, and I really like submachine guns that just rip um, just because in in urban combat scenarios, room cleaning scenarios and things, you're only going to see your target for a fleeting moment. And so the more rounds you can put down range, the better and the higher your hit probability. Um, and anyone who tells you, I only need one round uh, in a self-defense scenario or whatever, they're, they're idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. Never speak to them about firearms again. Uh, no, you need as many rounds as possible in uh a shooting scenario we're actually shooting because chances are statistically all but certain that you will miss a significant number of your shots. Um, even if you're very highly trained and experienced with the firearm, you will still miss like better than 50% of the time, to be honest with you. Um, especially when you're panicked, like all of a sudden somebody's there and you're like, ah, you're gonna miss some. You're gonna miss some some shots, um, and that's just the way it is. Uh, gross motor skills kind of stay intact, but fine motor skills start to go to shit, and um, yeah, it gets interesting. So you you have issues, you know, um, hitting things. And plus, I mean, deep down, very few people truly want to shoot anybody, so uh, you have a tendency to intentionally miss. Um, Yep, the G36, which is a really cool gun, and its concept was really neat, right? The G36 concept, uh, to anybody not old enough to remember, when they were playing with that and the XM concept. Um, and I have seen a real XM17, by the way, which was really neat. Well, sort of real XM17. Um, that was... It's built out of real XM-17 parts. I'll give you that. Um, but, uh, and it is full auto and things, and, and, and it's really cool. Um, I never got to shoot it, but I have gotten to see it and handle it. It's, it's pretty cool. But um, the, uh, 
the G36s neat because like the X uh, the X is it XM17 or XM117? It's XM17, right? I'm not I'm not talking out my ass here. I have a lot of designations in my head and I am trying to keep track of them all and I apologize if I get them wrong. No, nope, I'm probably wrong. Is the XM17 is a SIG. Uh, is it XM117? No, it was not. Why am I spacing?
Oh, no, you didn't break anything. Somehow I muted myself. That's weird. Huh. Cool beans. I muted myself. Where where did I lose audio at? What was I talking about? Somehow I, I must have hit a hot key to mute myself. See, even I don't want to listen to myself. Um, oh, I was saying those, the, um, so the Pancor, I'm, I'm sure I was muted when I mentioned the, uh, the, the bear trap on the Pancor jackhammer. Oh, okay. Wow. Really that far back? Cool beans. Wow. XM8. Uh, yes. The HK XM8, the guy, uh, who built the one that I got to handle, um, he, uh, he helped work on the HK, uh, 416 project. Um, he worked for HK for years and years. Um, I worked with him for a while and, uh, he, he had, uh, gotten his hands on a bunch of original XM8 parts and then got a guy to, um, build him one based on, uh, there's some gun that HK sells here in the U S or used to sell here in the U S uh, it's a semi-auto gun that um, looks like garbage, but um, it's it's basically internally the same as a semi-auto XM8 would be, and you can build one on there, and he had a pro gunsmith build it for him and stuff, and it's pretty neat. Um, but the uh, that XM project was part of the uh, Land Warrior project that the U.S. Army did. Um there was kind of a failed project, but it led to a lot of cool stuff. Um, the technology just wasn't there yet for it. Like enhanced reality, um, live battlefield GPS, things like that. It, it led to a lot of those really cool projects. Um, but yeah, it was the XM, the XM eight and the XM nine. His, by the way, had uh, an original optic on it, um, an actual XM8 optic, too, which was really neat. They had, like, integrated optics on the top rather than, like, swappable things and stuff. Um, uh, but the the Pancor Jackhammer um, what is another one like the G36 and the P90 and the XM8. The, the Pancor Jackhammer is another one that gets thrown into video games and movies uh, and, and things like that all the time. Um, that it looks futuristic, but it's really not. Um, the, uh, the Pancor jackhammers in some Arnold Schwarzenegger movie with like rail guns, if I remember right, where it's supposed to be this rail gun. It's actually just a, you know, shotgun. It's actually a blow forward shotgun, which is really unique. So it takes the whole action and moves it forward. Um, and it rotates uh, the cylinder, and it's got a 10-shot cylinder that has grooves in it, uh, and it's a bullpup design, and it's set up like a Wesley uh, or a, a Webley Fosbury semi-automatic revolver. Uh, if you've never seen one of those, the top half moves, the frame stays still, 
So when you fire, it moves backwards on this like uh, like football shaped post that and it, that rotates the cylinder for you and indexes it, which is pretty nifty. Um, and it's set up kind of the same, but it blows forwards and that rotates the cylinder. And then he, uh, um, um, John Anderson, who designed it, uh, also uh, thought of this cool idea where he had a cylinder. Uh, the the ten round cylinder you could actually eject and load with ten cartridges and then set up like a trigger like a pressure sensitive trigger and then bury it like a landmine, which sounds like a really nifty idea right up until you consider that once you've done that you no longer have a shotgun. Um. So that was neat. Um. Yeah. I don't remember what else I said. I said a whole bunch of stuff that you missed because I muted myself because I'm an idiot. Um, but yeah, that's uh, the futuristic guns, man. There you see them in video games and everything else, and and people that do nothing but play video games are like, oh, that was the coolest gun ever. And it's like, no, you just think it's cool because it was powerful based on what these video game designers thought it should be, not based on what it actually was. Don't give me that garbage. Like, no, you don't know anything that you, what you're saying because, trust me, that gun is not nearly that neat. And I've handled a lot of these guns. Pancor Jackhammer, no. Um, only three were ever built. Uh, two of them were destroyed and one is in the hands of, I believe a Canadian, uh, like screen and like, like theater, uh, gun company. They, they convert stuff to fire blanks and stuff. I think it might be one that's in California. I don't know. Um, but they have it. It's definitely like a Hollywood gun place that has it. Um, well, Battlefield, eh, Battlefield's actually fairly accurate in a lot of their guns, at least as far as like their, the stopping power and stuff of most of their guns. And they try their hardest to represent most of them fairly accurately, but they also, because it's a video game and it's not Far Cry 2, um, they don't jam. They don't have the issues that the real guns have. I don't even remember what the shotgun from Halo looks like. Um, Brad said he had to explain to a buddy that the shotgun in Halo doesn't exist. I don't even know what that shotgun looks like, to be honest with you. Like, off off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you. Um, engage top loader pump action. Uh, if you could handle an eight gauge while standing up, which is debatable. Um, I have seen, I have seen a two gauge shotgun. And if you are unfamiliar with gauge and what that translates to. Um, gauge is referring to, uh, 
a ball of that given diameter fitting in a oh god tube of X amount of distance that I can't recall off the top of my head but that's what it's referring to um let me go ahead and not sound like an idiot Yep, none of that is helpful. Uh, it's a unit of measure that is based on ah, how many balls of that given diameter uh weigh a pound yes out of lead so a 12 gauge barrel can hold 12 uh basically 12 balls that would fit as an entire like a musket ball down that barrel 12 of those at 0.727 inches would total a pound 20 gauge uh, it would be 20 of those balls, which are 0.617 inches, total a pound. I knew I knew it had to do with balls, because of course it does. Um, but that's that's where gauge comes from. Caliber is based on an inch. And millimeter, I don't think I should have to explain. Americans, looking at you. Um, there used to be other gauges or other like uh, measurements um, for uh, round size. They were very odd. Um, but I don't remember any of them off the top of my head. Okay, there you go. 410 is 62 gauge. In case anyone's a, uh, a big uh, shotgun fan, now you know. Four ten, you can shoot out of certain revolvers. Assuming you don't like rifling, because, you know. Uh, 410, by the way. Is... Uh, 410, uh, I got 67.62 gauge for 410. It's 10.4 millimeters. 
based on the equation of uh, a mass equal to 1 over n parts of the mass, uh, is equal to 2 to the third power, the square root of 2 to the third power over, I don't know how to actually read that, but based on a, an equation that is really complicated and math is hard right now. I wouldn't use 410 for anything, but, but foul. Anything else, and it's, it's just not worth it. And what, they use it for trap, too, don't they? Like, for, like, kids' trap and stuff, they use 410. A girl uh, from my neighboring state of Illinois just won a national trap shooting competition, by the way, so congratulations to her. She's quite young, as I recall. Um... And managed to win. So, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I try not to talk to boomers about shotguns and, and what they're what they're good for. Um, because boomers love shotguns. Um, and I can't stand boomers. Nor do I particularly care what a boomer's opinion is on any firearm, period. Um, because they're wrong. I mean, don't get me wrong. My decor over here would be a boomer's dream, right? I got a, I got a Mauser, uh, that action. I got a Browning High Power. We got the STG-44, which a boomer may not be a huge fan of. Uh, we got the Thompson submachine gun, an FN Fal, uh, a uh, M1 carbine. 1911 M1 Garand. Uh, what is that? That's a Henry repeater, uh, Browning lever action. Um, over there, I got uh, a Colt SAA. I don't remember what that one is. Um, a uh, Colt Patterson. Um, then over there. Uh, a Bailey rotating cannon, Gatling gun, uh, a Maxim, and something else. It's also a big rotating cannon. Can't remember. But it's a rotating cannon, which is cool. Who doesn't love rotating cannons? Yeah, and those are all patent sheets, detailed patent sheets. Um, the FN, uh, the the FAL um, patent sheet, by the way, I actually had to order from Belgium because nobody else had one. Um, I do also have hiding out somewhere. There they are. Well, there's one of them. A C96 broom handle Mauser, which is waiting to go up because I ordered an 8x10, and guess what the guy sent me? An 8x12. 
You know who makes 8x12 frames? No one. Um, and then I got a uh, original Maxim silencer. Uh, and then uh, an M16 over there. Just because fuck you, boomers. Yeah, I have I have three separate uh, machine gun early machine gun patents. Very very early machine gun patents. Um, the latest one actually of those three, to be honest with you, uh, is the Maxim. Um, say that's a Gatling. That's a Bailey's. What the hell is that? That's a, uh, oh, a Hotchkiss. Yes, Hotchkiss rotating cannon. Over there, that's the wall of machine guns over that way. Revolvers are over there. Semi-autos and modern firearms for the most part are right here. Um, and then, of course, there is up over that shoulder, there is the fabulous... Gun Jesus. That embarrasses my buddy Ian to no end. Got that courtesy of Head Stamp Publishing. Thank you to them for that gem. Um... That uh, that came out. He's actually holding the book. That is the reason that that came out. Um, Ian McCollum's um, Chaspeau to Fama, a history of French military firearms. Um, I think in the 20th century, definitely worth the pickup. If you can get your hands on one, I think the uh, um, the Kickstarter to be able to get your hands on a copy discounted is over as well as the uh, autograph copies is over. So you missed out on that, but it's still worth picking up as are the other books from Headstamp publishing because they are awesome. They have several more very detailed reference historical firearms books coming out. And I highly, highly recommend they're excellent. Um, I've read uh, some preprint manuscript of Ian's book most of which is actually the, the photos of which are straight out of his personal collection, which I could never hope to rival nor desire to rival, actually, if I'm honest, on French firearms. Uh, it's very, very good. And if you're unfamiliar with him, um, his YouTube channel, uh, his main YouTube channel is Forgotten Weapons. Uh, his other one he does with Carl Casarda, and that is uh, In Range. Carl is also freaking awesome, and you should definitely support them on Patreon because they're really cool. Um, let's see, Brett uh, mentions being down in Arkansas. Uh, a boomer was standing outside his car with a 1022 talking to some kids about how accurate it was and how great it was for defense. Told them to get a Glock. Um, I mean, while theoretically, 
I will concur with him. You can use a Ruger 10-22 for defense because it's better than absolutely nothing. You're firing a 22 caliber round at not particularly impressive speeds with not particularly large amounts of mass. And uh, no. I mean, it's it, you dump enough rounds into somebody out of anything and eventually they'll die. Um, or at least, you know, stop attacking you. But it doesn't matter if you can fire a thousand rounds of BB ammo a minute. Yeah, it'll hurt, but it ain't going to kill anybody. You know, I mean, 22 will kill, but I certainly, I mean, that's that's choosing my latest metaphor lately for a lot of that is what you're doing is you're choosing a screwdriver for a drills job. While, yes, it could do it if absolutely necessary, it's not going to do it better, it's not going to do it well, and you're going to wish you had the drill the whole time. It's the worst of the choices for the tool for the job, is what I'm saying. I mean, like, I could, yeah, I could go out and shoot a deer with a bow and arrow at extreme range. But if I'm in extreme range, a bow and arrow is not my first choice. My first choice is a really good rifle. So while it's possible, it's not my go-to. It's not my first freaking choice. Um... CMMG AR-22 woodwork, 25 rounds of CI Velocitor. Yeah, um, although in terms of 22 caliber AR-15s, I'm still really partial. As much as I hate to say it, I'm really partial to Colts. The MMP-15-22, I really, really like it. I like the simplicity design. I like the self-contained bolt assembly. I really like it. Yes. Hauling freight with an F-350 instead of a Peterbilt. Well, yeah, it'll do it. It certainly won't do it as well as with the tool that's designed for the job. It's like I got in an argument with somebody uh, who clearly their all of their firearms knowledge comes out of video games. Um, there's just no other way to put it. And they're talking about like, well, close range, you know, you use flechettes or, or bullet rounds. If you're unfamiliar with the bowl around is it's it's two balls that are connected with some sort of wire, right? And that's shotgun as are the flechettes for the most part. Um, and I point out, look, flechettes are only viable as ammunition if you can stabilize them and give them sufficient velocity. Something that you're only going to be able to do, especially out of a shotgun, with a sabot, and if you're using a sabot to hold them together and get them to all fly straight, then they're at close range, they're not going to have separated, in which case you might as well use a slug. You're using a screwdriver for drills job. And as far as the, the bullets go, accuracy is a massive problem because those two, those two masses connected with that wire are not going to fly in a straight line. And if they do, you might as well use a slug. And, it, and since they don't, you don't know exactly where they're going to go. And 
they're not going to do anything better than double up buck is going to do. And they're not going to do anything better than a slug is going to do. Unless what you're trying to do is cut the rope of the guy that's about to get hung. But in that case, if that's what you're trying to do, your accuracy is going to be so bad that you're just going to smash in the skull of the guy who you're trying to save. And that's going to ruin the, uh, the surprise ending to your Western, ain't it? Is it Smith and Wesson? It might be Smith and Wesson. I don't remember. I didn't buy it. I don't buy 22s. Not mine. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. That is that is an S and W. Okay. Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't really buy twenty twos. That's that's a kid gun, you know. Kids, women, new brand new shooters. I'm none of those things. So. That's my girlfriend's gun. And she done butted it. Um. Anything else? I'm sure there's something. I don't know. We got a little bit more time here. Damn boomers. Screw you. Oh, I don't remember. The, I don't remember who makes the the crappy 22 version of a, a plastic version of an AR between one boomer gun company and another boomer gun company. Yay me. Um, something that's not a Springfield. So the question is good pistol to buy your girlfriend who unironically uses a Springfield XDS. Something that's not a Springfield. Um, does, what size hands does she have? Because if she's got big hands, that's going to determine things. If she's got, like, normal female hands, that's going to be something else. Um, so I need to know the size of the hands that I'm dealing with. Small hands. Okay, is she experienced with recoil? Like, is she, a fa is she familiar with pistols? Chris already beat me into my first recommendation, the Glock 48. Single stack, 9mm, small frame. The thing's really thin. It's a slightly different grip angle than a normal Glock. Having fired his, um, I got to say the Glock 48 is probably one of the finest concealed carry pistols I have ever handled. Um, and that's saying something, like... If I wasn't as big a fan of 10 millimeter as I am, yeah, I would, uh, I would say that 
That is a hell of a gun, a Glock 48. Have her take her to a gun shop, have her handle a Glock 48. She'll fall in love with it. Um, don't get her a like a Canic or an FN 5.7 because they're way too big. Um, other than a Glock 48, I would maybe have her try a 19X. Although if a 17 is going to be awkward for her, a 19X really isn't the way to go because it's the same frame. Um, beyond that, you're looking for something that's probably single stack 9mm um, would be a good idea. And a smaller frame. Um, I would not recommend Taurus. And I think anybody that does is probably a moron. Um, unless she really likes Tiffany Blue, in which case. And doesn't necessarily care about uh, functionality. Yeah, Chris uh, Chris was not a fan of Glocks. Um, he would... He would uh, oh, God, she likes 45? Is she aware that, like, it's garbage? Like, other rounds that do infinitely better at killing things have been invented in the past 75 years. Um, if she Is she planning on suppressing this carry gun that she wants to get it in 45? Because in the 21st century, unless you are planning on suppressing, I can think of literally no reason to get a gun in 45 ACP. Literally none. There is no actual reason. Yeah, exactly. Boomer. You got to be a boomer to think that 45 is a viable round in the 21st century outside of the realm of suppression. Because, see, 45 is great for suppressed rounds, right? Because all 45 ACP is subsonic, right? So, you know, supersonic cracks. So, when you suppress it, you suppress it, like, legitimately. Um, on top of that, because 45 is so stupid big... When it hits its target at subsonic speeds, at subsonic speeds, you don't get cavitation and hydraulic shock the way that you do supersonic. So the wound channel that you create is all the wound you're doing with a 45 caliber round. So whatever hole that round actually makes, that is the hole. However, supersonic rounds, when they impact a squishy water-filled target like a human being, they create cavitation and hydraulic shock. So the hydraulic shock is when you move a bunch of water really fast, it smacks into any th other things and then magnifies the impact. Cavitation is when you actually create pockets behind that thing that then collapse at super speed and tend to re-expand creating more and more trauma. If you ever watch a really fast round impact ballistic gel 
in really slow motion, you'll see what I mean by cavitation. Um, you'll also see weird flashes. Um, and there's a really weird reason that you actually see light generated that I don't want to go into that nobody totally understands, but it happens. Um, but anyway, so supersonic rounds are going to do more damage, plain and simple. There is no way around it. They just will for weight. They will do more damage. If what she wants is to suppress this thing and she thinks that she's friggin' hitman. All right, fine. Carry 45. But if you want to actually be able to defend yourself in an effective way, conceal carrying, and you want to be able to put that target down and don't listen to some other boomer, gamer, freaking idiot who's never actually fired a shot in anger in his entire life, who has barely even handled a gun that wants to tell you, oh, you only need one shot because they're probably functionally retarded. You need a supersonic round. My personal favorite is 10 millimeter and I'm an unrepentant 10 millimeter fanboy, and everybody else can suck it. I love my 10 millimeter. I get all the power of a 357 Magnum, but in semi-automatic with a smaller overall package. I freaking love it. Not 40, not 10 millimeter with its balls cut off because the FBI couldn't handle a real man's round. Actual 10 millimeter. Because 40 is 10 millimeters short. And it's garbage. And anybody who carries 40, I wouldn't trust them in my life. I wouldn't trust them to shoot next to me in the boogaloo, and I don't trust them to carry. If you carry 40, you are an idiot and do not deserve a weapon. <laughs> Chris said 10 millimeter is a great round. It's about the only thing that makes a 1911 run well. Actually, 50 GI also makes a 1911 run well. However, it will also cost about as much as your garbage pistol that you're running it in. Although uh, GI also offers a conversion kit to 50 GI for a Glock, which offers you all of the same stopping power, but way more rounds and reliability. So there's also that. Look, the bottom line is when it comes to pistols, especially carrying pistols, if all you wanted was a gun that works every time, pretty much every time, I mean, I don't want to guarantee anything, but Basically, every single time you pull the trigger, as long as you're cleaning it and taking care of it. If you want a gun that just works, is pretty much uninteresting because it just works. Is ergonomic and light. You buy a Glock. Everyone would buy a Glock. If all they were after was just a good gun, they would buy a Glock. Plain and simple. 
everybody in the special operations community will tell you the exact same thing. Everybody in law enforcement will tell you the same thing. Everybody uh, will who handles guns on a day-to-day basis where their life may depend on it will tell you the same thing. Glocks are the best carry gun, hands down, plain and simple. They're uninteresting, though. There's no personality, really, to Glocks because they're just a tool that freaking works. The only reason anybody carries anything other than a Glock is because they view their concealed carry choice as an extension of themselves, as some sort of uh, self-expression method. So that's why some people carry FNs. That's why some people carry HKs. That's why people carry SIGs, also possibly because they want to be shot occasionally by their own guns. Um, that's why, um, you know, that's why people carry 1911s is because they're they've been hit in the head repeatedly, suffered massive head trauma, and they have they have an IQ of 48 because somehow it's an extension. Of of yourself to whatever gun you choose to carry. And Glocks just are never quite that for the most part because they, they just work. They're not quirky. They're not interesting visually. They're just, they exist. They work. They function. They're phenomenal. Um, their tagline, you know, is perfection. And I wouldn't say necessarily that they're perfect, but they're about as close to perfection as handguns get. They just, they work every time. They shoot. They're phenomenal. But that isn't really what people want. So when you ask most people, um, you know, when you ask most people, oh, well, what should I get for a pistol? People who aren't seriously involved professionally with firearms and haven't been and you'll get varying answers based on their personalities, what they carry, what they like. And you won't get a lot of questions back about, well, but what, you know, what do you prefer for a grip angle? What do you prefer for recoil? You know, what can you handle for recoil? What do you like for a sight radius? Do you value customizability in an aftermarket? Do you, um, you know, how do you like to carry? Do you appendix carry? Do you OWB? Do you, you know, do you IWB? What do you do for your carry? You know, are you throwing it in a purse pocket? Um, you know, all of these things are important. You know, how big are your hands? How small are your hands? Um, how experienced are you with firearms? These are all important questions if you want to give somebody an answer that's tailored to them. But a lot of guys that you're going to ask who aren't firearms educators are not going to ask those questions. They're not going to try and get to the heart of what would be the best choice for you in their opinion. It's just what is their opinion of what the best gun is. So what you'll see a lot is guys just going, well, I carry this. Well, that's freaking great for you, Fud Nugget. But a 1911 is a pile of garbage especially for concealed carry. Yeah, it might be fun if I'm shooting two gun and I'm going in the heavy metal category. You know, like whatever it's, 
what it amounts to is like when I get asked those questions, I want to know this person, what, who they are, what they do, where they're carrying, how they're carrying so that I can answer that question the best for them. I mean, for some people, for all I know, a Ruger curve is the best choice. I mean, it's only 380, which is a fair level of useless, but it's really quickly drawable. It's really quickly fireable. It's not bad in that respect. So if you're generally in environments where that's not going to be an issue and should you be, you're able to put that barrel in contact with your target and just pull until the slide locks. It might work you know it's it might not be ideal but especially like let's say you're jogging right you don't want a huge print in your in your hot little jogging pants of a weapon if that's the case a ruger curve might work it's better than nothing and having fired one i gotta tell you it's not bad um, it draws really fast because there are zero snag points on it, which is really impressive. For a, f- for a gun that is designed towards females and female clothing and body shape uh, and general female carry scenarios, it's actually a pretty good gun. Um, I I actually was kind of impressed with it, to be honest with you. I, I, I liked it. I liked its idea. I liked the way it was designed. I like that it doesn't have any sights. It's just got a bore axis, like, white cross on the back. Um, because where you're going to be using 380 in any kind of a, a significant way that it's actually going to do any damage, you don't really need to aim. <laughs> you, you're pointing. You're not aiming. Because um, you can't miss at those ranges. Um, cause you're talking about barrel contact ranges or near barrel contact ranges. So, um, I mean, I don't mind that, but if it's somebody who, you know, maybe you're in Alaska, you know, you're a big dude in Alaska and he asked me what the best gun to carry a concealed carry is. Well, if you're a big dude and you live in Alaska, you might encounter not a person that you need to draw on, but like an animal, in which case I'm going to be like, Dude, get something really freaking massive and really powerful. Like at that point, maybe a a 45 Glock that's been converted over to 50 GI is the best option for concealed carry for him. Because it's a really big round. (laughs) Carrying just a lot of energy because of its sheer mass. Or maybe 10 millimeter is still going to work for him, you know? I don't know. I don't know what's, you know, it, it's going to depend on your situation. Um, uh, you know, maybe he should be carrying, uh, was it four, was that 460 Alaskan, 450 Alaskan, something like that? Um, you know, like a revolver in, in something ridiculous or 500 Smith and Wesson. I have freaking no idea. If you got to worry about a grizzly bear, then if you can stand it, carry a freaking 500. Like, 500 500 Smith and Wesson or something in like they make they make fairly short barrel revolvers in 4570 because people are insane do that carry that because for your situation when you're going up against a grizzly bear that is something that's going to carry enough energy to penetrate the breastplate of the bear to penetrate the skull of the bear and kill it 
But if all you're doing is walking around a shopping mall and that is the extent of your excursions on a day-to-day -day basis, that's a bit much. You don't need that much. And now weight becomes a thing and concealability becomes a consideration. And, you know, wh whether or not the round's going to overpenetrate becomes a consideration. And what ammo is available and varieties of ammo are available for that gun in that caliber that it will run on reliably that you can use that, you know, are safe for that. Um, those are all really important considerations that you need to have. And so if somebody, when you ask with just a couple of bits of information, what the best gun for this person is, and if they can give you an answer without asking you any questions back or trying to gain any additional information or any background information on them, they're not answering your question. What they're doing is just telling you what they like. They're, they're not giving you a recommendation. What they're telling you is you should get this because I like this thing. Especially if that person ever, ever, ever recommends a 1911 for concealed carry ever, that person should not be listened to about firearms ever. Well, I have uh, eight rounds of a subsonic ammunition that is not capable of cavitation or significant hydraulic shock. I have limited ammo capacity, and I carry in a gun which, if not kept extremely clean and with polished slide rails and feed ramps, will malfunction constantly and is incredibly ammunition sensitive. Like... Uh, yeah, 4570 is an impressive round, actually, especially for how old it is. That's 70, FYI. Take a while, guess what that means. a significant round <laughs> um yeah it's got some serious oomph it's not it's not a true rifle round um obviously but it's got some serious balls behind it it's a it's a hell of a round nonetheless i would love uh i would love for all uh all government employees to carry 1911s Yeah, because um, if they're all carrying Rock Island 1911s, they would all die. Actually, no. No, the 70 does not stand for 1870, actually. Um, the 4570 um, was uh, actually... Um, developed in 1873. The 70 is actually the amount of powder, uh, grains of black powder behind the round. So it's 70 grains of powder behind a 45 caliber cartridge. 
Um, unlike uh, .30-06, which is a 30 caliber round adopted in 1906, um, government uh, ammunition naming conventions are kind of all over the place. Yeah, there's uh, there's some weird weird stuff because um, there's also um, a fifty seventy uh, government, which is uh, the same um, same loading or same naming convention. So it's a fifty caliber round with uh, seventy grains of black powder behind it. So um, Four and a half grams of black powder. But yeah, 70 grains. That's what those mean. Um, but you're always going to want to double check. Uh, and that is black powder, not smokeless powder, kids. Don't blow yourselves up and then blame me. But that's why it's called 4570. It's a 45 caliber projectile, 70 grains of black powder. 50, 70, 50 caliber projectile, 70 grains of black powder. There's a significant amount of oomph behind that. Uh, the two barrel revolver version of that gun, um, or the two inch barrel revolver version of that gun, um, is a wrist breaker and a half. And it is a fireball spewer. Yeah, if you use 70 grains of smokeless powder in that cartridge, it was nice knowing you. That's a kaboom and a half. Well, <laughs> yeah. You know, the other interesting thing about 4570 um, is that, as memory serves, isn't its uh, rim diameter like 0.070? Oh, no, it's rim thickness. Never mind, it's headspace. It's 0.070 on 4570. Um. There was a guy uh, not long ago who did a wrist breaker special where he fired a, uh, he had the 4570 with like a two inch barrel. He had a 500 Smith and Wesson with like a three inch barrel, a 454 Casul with like a two or three inch barrel. Um, I want to say he had like the, I think, is it 468 Alaskan or 450 Alaskan? Um, I want to say it's 450 Alaskan. But maybe it's 460 Alaskan. Four eighty. That's what I'm looking for. It's four eighty Alaskan. Um get a four eighty Alaskan. Um which is a, a super red hawk in that. Um it's like a three inch barrel or something. He had all of those. It was his wrist breaker special. And it was crazy. He even dual wielded them and just bam, 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 bam. Whoop. Knocking my, uh, knocking my, my spit guard off here. There we go. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, there's a 450 Alaskan too. There's a few Alaskans. Um, there's also, I mean, that's why I always laugh, right? When guys, the, the FUDs are like, hey, uh, Uh, I, I love how they're like, oh, I carry a 40 valve because they don't make a 46, except they do. There's 460 Smith & Wesson. Um, there's a, at least one or two other 460s. There's other stuff bigger. There's 50 GI. There's um, 480. There's, um, oh, God, I'd done a list the other day just to call a dude out because he didn't know what the hell he was talking about. Um, yeah, there's 460 Alaskan, there's, uh, 480, there's a whole shit ton of, um, yeah, 460 Roland, um, isn't there like a, I want to say it starts with a W, something, uh, a big, uh, big bore pistol cartridge starts with a W, um, one starts with an L too, um, I have, you know, it's funny. Like I tell people, I think I've forgotten more about firearms than most people learn. And this is one of those moments where I'm like, yeah, I think that might be right. <laughs> um, I'm trying to do this all off the top, off the cuff here. Um, there's God. Um, there's a lot of them, right? There's a lot of, of pistol rounds that are way bigger than 45. And Yeah, the FUDs are still like, oh, 45. Weatherby? Yeah, it's probably Weatherby. Um, there's some that starts with an L, though, that's that's bigger than bigger than 45, too. I don't remember what it was. Um, but, yeah, there's... I mean, are you kidding me? Are you trying to suggest that you carry a 45 ACP because 454 Kasool just isn't enough of a round for you? Like, have you seen what a 454 Kasool will do? <laughs> Like, it's insane. Yeah, 500 Nitro Express is another one. 50 GI, 500 Smith & Wesson, 500 Nitro Express. Um, 50 Action Express. Um, there's, good lord, there's a lot of big bore rounds out there. They're way bigger. And you don't shoot them, not because they don't make a 46. You shoot them because, you don't shoot them because... They'll break your fucking wrist. They hurt. Have you ever fired a 500 Smith & Wesson? Because I have. And I'll tell you right now. It makes your hand and your wrist hurt. Those guns suck to shoot. They suck. They hurt. They're loud. Even with Ear Pro on, it's louder than hell. And it hurts. It hurts your hand. It hurts your wrist. You're sore. If you spend a day shooting a 500 Smith and Wesson also don't put a target on a tree because you will shoot the tree down, which is impressive, but you will But yeah, those really, really big bore revolvers. They hurt. They suck to shoot. Yeah. Um, Chris said, I felt the recoil in a 500 Smith and Wesson to my shoulder. Yes. Uh, your shoulders, your elbows, your wrists, your palms of your hands, everything hurts. I mean, the amount of recoil is just insane. And uh, that is because it's one hell of a round. 
with a lot of recoil and it's really potent. Anyone who wants to pretend that the 45 is the be all end all is probably an idiot. 500 Smith and Wesson in a lever gun would be actually be really cool. Like a, a, a Henry style or, or a Browning, um, a Browning style, actually lever action. 500 Smith and Wesson. Somebody should get on that or, you know, maybe I should. I need machines, but we can do it. Can be done. 357 Magnum. Eh. It's like shooting 10 millimeter. It's about the same amount of recoil, same amount of oomph. 10 millimeter and 357. That's why I like my, uh, like my uh, 10 millimeter. Because I get all the hit power over 357, but I get way more rounds. Because <laughs> when you really want it dead, do it right. But that is, it's almost midnight here in Wisconsin. I actually have to be up for work and drive for a half hour in the morning. Uh, so I am going to call it an evening. You guys stay classy. It was great hanging out with everybody, answering questions. And uh, going over cool stuff and, and ranting and raving. Hopefully, if you're unfamiliar with firearms or you're dubious about firearms, you learned a few things on this show uh, tonight. And uh, now you will be able to call out the video game idiots when they try to run their mouths and be like, nope. People who actually know a thing or two about firearms told me that that isn't true and you don't know what you're talking about. So uh, anything I can do to help, anybody else has any questions, you guys can always message me and when I get a chance, I will respond. Um, I love answering those questions and educating people about firearms because that is how we win that culture war with education, with teaching people the truth about firearms and to be intelligent about firearms. That is what we need to do, and that's my favorite kind of battle to fight. So um, if anybody has any questions, just let me know. I'm always happy to answer them or tell you why they may not have been probably the question you actually meant. But that is all for me. I am the Inked Anarchist. I'm going to go ahead and sign off for the evening. As always, don't forget to check out Anarchy Among Friends Roundtable Discussion every other Sunday where we talk about anarchy, current events, and all sorts of crazy stuff that we happen to stumble into. Do not forget to buy my friend Derek's book, Think for Yourself. Uh, it is a great workbook. You could use it with your kids if you're homeschooling. That's what it was originally developed for, but it's also great for adults uh, who maybe need a refresher or maybe have never gone through any kind of logic or critical thinking courses. Uh, also, make sure that if you feel compelled to support financially any kind of pro-gun organization that is fighting for uh, your the preservation of your Second Amendment rights, in the courts, you you go ahead and throw some money at the Firearms Policy Coalition. Uh, they are extremely libertarian, if not anarchist, and made up mostly of anti-war vets. Uh, it is a very good 
uh, organization is sponsor. I'm a very proud sponsor and card-carrying member of the Firearms Policy Coalition. So that's it for the Inked Anarchist for tonight, guys. You have been great. I had a lot of fun. Stay safe. Stay real. Laugh to heal. You guys have a good night. Mmm, don't like that.